Thank you. Fervent Church, so good to be back with you. For the love of God, sit down. Um, it is so good to be back with you. And I think you know, well, first of all, what's it like to have a pastor that's a hot mess? I think you know of my deep affection for your pastor, uh, Mike, longtime friend of mine, and uh, now Jill. I just really, really love him. Uh, he's real. He, he leads real. He, he leads authentically from who he is. He leads in the midst of his doubts and his questions, which is how all of us should live, isn't it? Um, and so it's been my joy to walk many years with Mike, actually. I can remember uh, times when uh, he was going through some of the very painful seasons in his life, just being able to be there with him. Our friendship is, is a very unique blend of uh, familiarity and fun and hassling each other and incredible depth. Uh, we were just talking about that on the way here, and you can't fake that. I appreciate this dude so much. He's let me into his life. I've let him into mine. The things we're not telling you. Uh, but it is such a joy to be with you all again today. And, you know, there, there's two things they're not making any uh, more of. They're, they're not making any new land. And they're not making any new old friends. And the older I get, the more I appreciate friendships that last decades. Uh, a lot of us don't know how to keep them that long. And so I'm just so grateful for Mike and for this faith community. And I, I think you're in a series called Greater, and I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about what it might mean to be greater on the inside. But before I do that, a couple more introductory remarks. Um, man, I, I'm, I like seeing people's eyes, and I see lights. So if I, I'm imagining where you are. I'm going to look you in your eyes if it's the last thing I do. Um, but a couple words of introduction. First of all, I want to uh, honor my wife, Trisha, who's tolerated me for 20 years. She's here with me and my kids. Stand up, guys. Um, and Vicki, stand. So they're, they're also on the screen. Uh, so my wife, Trisha, then we have our oldest, Davis. He's getting ready to be 16 years old. What a stud. He's currently kind of half available, kind of half broken up, kind of half. So anyone, if you know, he's. And then uh, we have Lily, our sweet daughter. She's the sweet little middle of our two audacious boys. And then we have Grayson Brave. Wave Grayson. He's just turned seven and he's something else, that kid. You're literally getting on my nerves, he told Lily the other day. You're literally getting on my nerves. So, and then I also want to introduce Vicky Azaza to you. Vicky, Dr. Azaza to you, that is, is a medical professional from Tanzania who's also a medical student here in the U.S., and she is our family, and she lives with us, and she runs the roads with us, and she's deep in our hearts, so Vicky, we're glad you're here with us as well. Just a little word about my work, since it's a bit weird. Uh, five years ago next week, I gave birth to Integer Network. Integer is an international coaching network. We value three things primarily. One is authenticity. We want to help people and communities learn to be real and vulnerable. And I believe that's when we really live a rich and flourishing life. And the second thing we really value is human connection. We want to establish meaningful relationship between people and third, we value wholeness. I believe that when the interior landscape of our lives is tended to, when our hearts uh, 
are, are looked at and purified, when the heart of a man or a woman is whole, then our work and our love and our relationships are even richer. And so we value those things tremendously, and we do it through a modality of coaching. Now, for most of you, you probably think coaching, you think sports. Uh, but we do professional coaching of leaders and teams where we employ a combination of asking powerful questions and listening really well. Uh, David Augsburger says that uh, listening and love are so indistinguishable that for the average human, you can't even tell them apart. How many of you have felt listened to and you walked away just knowing you were loved? Uh, and so we just love to ask powerful questions to listen well. Coaching is similar to consulting, except we don't give advice. Similar to counseling, except we don't focus back as much as we do forward. Similar to therapy, except we don't diagnose. Um, similar to mentoring, except we get rid of the power dynamic between the mentor and the mentee. Uh, because we believe that a client or the other, the person across from you, is actually fully creative resourceful and whole. In other words, they've got everything in them already. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, the heart of a man or a woman are like deep waters, and one who has insight will draw them out. And so if we're patient enough to ask good questions and to listen well, we will draw out the hearts of each other, um, and then people will discover how incredibly creative they are. Uh, did you know, Jill, that the world's leading expert on Jillian Rosado is Jillian Rosado. No one has logged as many hours with you as you have. And so if I can ask her enough questions, genuinely curious, well-timed questions, building off of what she wants, longs for, hopes for, dreams for, and listen with enough, enough empathy, enough intention, enough attention and curiosity, uh, she will discover in her this well of goodness, of creativity, of capacity to add value. That's true for all of us. Uh, we just aren't patient enough to learn, just like learning to play piano. Our daughter Lily plays piano and she has to practice. We've got to practice asking questions and listening. And so that's what we do at Integer. We also uh, hold this other umbrella. We're a nonprof, and so just lift out two quick projects for you that we're focused on, and then I'll, I'll preach. I think you asked me to come preach, right? Um, is, is that there's two things that I'll highlight for you. One is that our, we have a young man in Kampala, Uganda, working in the slums of Kampala, Uganda, who is starting integer clubs uh, where he's gathering young people because he believes that if we can instill authenticity and integrity into young Africans, it will help to offset the corruption crisis that so plagues the continent. After having lived there with my family for seven years residentially, I say yes and amen to Nathan Abi's vision. And so we're working with Nathan to see some really meaningful work happen in Kampala. And another really creative thing that I'm excited about, we're focused on this year, is in partnership with one of our strategic partners, We've realized that there's a, a neglected population really in the U.S. of autistic adults. Many uh, services are provided for autistic children, but after they turn 18, it drops off. And we've also realized in, in, in connection with our partner that the coach approach is actually a brilliant way to engage with autistic adults because they're packed with loyalty and creativity and ideas. 
if we would just ask questions. And so we've started to develop something called dignity-based coaching, which is a coach approach to use and employ a coach approach with autistic adults. And so we're working to develop something uh, to that end. We received a grant from the state of Pennsylvania to work with our partner in developing that this coming year and training behavioral specialists who work with autistic adults on the spectrum uh, to use a coach approach in their work with them. So those are a couple things we're doing at Integer. I love the work I get to do. And if any of that sounds exciting to you, or a lot of what we're doing is in team coaching. So if you lead a team, uh, you're a CEO or a boss or a business owner or a manager or head of an organization, and your team needs coaching toward relational dynamics, conflict appreciation, increasing trust, uh, we love to work with people in those regards. So reach out, grab a 15-minute call with me, and I'll share more with you about it. Sound good? Okay. So you're in a series called Greater, I believe, right? And um, I want to offer a few thoughts around the theme in line with your series. I want to offer some thoughts about what it looks like to be greater on the inside. I like this touchy-feely stuff, guys. Is that okay? I'm trying to look you in the eyes and make sure it's okay. Can we be a little bit touchy-feely? Good to see you. Ay, bendito. I want some arroz con gandules. I told Mike he was supposed to cook for me. You were supposed to cook for me when I came. Ay, 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 ay. Some pernil. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Um, anyway, greater on the inside. So I want to focus a little bit on what that might look like. So Jesus makes this declaration that is apparently the anchor of your series. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 12, in the message, it says this, the person who trusts me, by the way, the message is written, uh, translated or paraphrased by a guy named Eugene Peterson, who I just finished his biography this morning at the Holiday Inn here in Mount Laurel. Great book, great man, great story. It's really cool. It adds another level to reading the message translation when you know the story of the guy who translated it. But it says in John 14, 12, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, and giving you the same work to do that I've been doing, you can count on it. Now, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Jesus makes what I think is a radical declaration. So here's Jesus, who we believe to be God in flesh, says, hey, I am imparting to you the task of, because I'm getting out of the way, that'll preach in itself just in a minute, but to do greater things than even I have done. You can count on it. Jesus, who we believe to be God, telling us who we believe not to be, that we'll do greater things than him who is God. If you're anything like me, there's a disconnect in understanding. Wait, Jesus, how is this possible? How are you really meaning what you're saying? <clears throat> I want to tell you a story that illustrates for me a big transition that happened in my thinking. My, I'm one of five kids. My oldest, her name is Jolie. Jolie's married to Eamon. Eamon's a good Irish man. And his mom and dad's name, Bill and Stevie, Yes, Stevie is her name, short for Stephanie. Who laughed? He's laughing at this woman's name. So, but Bill and Stevie, they're, they're spiritualists, I like to say. <clears throat> Lifelong Catholics, 
love Jesus, are fascinated with Jesus. You can see they're deeply moved by Jesus, but also students of like Sufi Islam. What's Sufi Islam? Or they, they dip their toe in Buddhist streams and they do meditation, they light the candles and they breathe and they do all the things. And so as an evangelical background Christian and Christian leader at that, I would do what? Judge them-ish. What's the deal? I, I wish I could bring them into the full truth. <clears throat> well, then I went on a spiritual journey myself and I began to become curious about Bill and Stevie. I thought, well, they, that's really interesting. So we came back from a, on a home leave from Africa, and I said to Bill, can I take you out to breakfast? So I take Bill with his big white beard out to breakfast, and we talk, and I ask him questions, and he reads a poem he wrote, and we had the most beautiful time together. And, and, and at some point in the conversation, he says something again that tripped me up, and I said, Bill, I have a question for you. Sometimes you say things, and I think that you believe Jesus is God, and other times you say things, and I'm like, I don't think this guy thinks Jesus is God. Which is it, Bill? Do you believe Jesus is divine or not? And with his big white beard and sweet demeanor, he leans forward in the table, brokenhearted, that I would have had to ask him this question. He says, I'm sorry for anything I ever said that made you think that Jesus is not divine. I believe Jesus is fully divine, just like you and me. And I remember thinking, what? That's weird. But something happened in my heart in that moment where a whole bunch of stuff started to click. Because I remember as a boy growing up in the church and as a pastor, the many times that I would hear things like, well, the life of God is in you, Pastor Mike. Or the breath of God is on you. We're created in the image of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're the family of God. Have you heard these things? We're the family of God. Or, or this one, even better yet, even more graphic than any of them, we're the body of Christ. So we're like some this big body made up of a bunch of human bodies that's trying to rival the very power of the Christ, the living Christ that we know and follow. And so all of these images that beg how can we be anything other than filled with God? You can't un-God a human being. We're created in his image. And then Jesus here is saying, look, greater things than this you will do. I'm leaving because I'm getting out of the way. It says right here in the message that, um, that the, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things because I, on my way to the Father, as if it's a parenthesis, on my way to the Father, because I am leaving. And what, what did Jesus do when he left? He imparted to us the Holy Spirit. You will do even greater things than me. By the way, leaving is pretty powerful when it comes to releasing greater things. Getting out of the way is really powerful. As a dad of three, uh, you know, one of the things that Trish and I have learned and have been so surprised to learn, after 15 and a half, almost 16 years of parenting, we're going... Oh, we don't make our children's decisions. Shoot. I thought we made their decisions. They make their decisions. Um, and, and so there's something of getting out of the way. My job, our job is to impart as much wisdom as we can 
to teach as many lessons as we can, to give as much data as we can, that they will accumulate enough wisdom and knowledge to make decisions that bring life and that mitigate destruction, that welcome healing and avoid pain. That's all we can do. And it's up to them whether they're going to implement those decisions. But this thing of Jesus getting out of the way is powerful. But that moment with Bill O'Grady at that restaurant, that moment when I realized, wait, this is something of what this greater things mean. How can I be anything other than full of the life of God? How can you? And imparted with the spirit of God. And it was at that moment that I became convinced, okay, that's how these greater things happen. Because we are part and parcel and an extension of and representatives of God, filled with the life of God, filled with the life of the Spirit. Jesus says greater things than this. Now, just seven chapters earlier, in John 7, verse 38, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Jesus says these words. If anyone thirsts, even like I do now, Let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way, as scripture says. Come to me and drink, and rivers of living water will brim, will flow from within you. This morning, I'm going to leave you with some ideas about what it looks like to be greater on the inside. Now, when we hear this, greater things than this you'll do, my guess is, like me, most of us think about world work. We think about outward impact. Jesus is saying to us, hey, you're going to do great things. We think about how we're going to touch Voorhees, how we're going to make an impact in France, how we're going to impart and reach and do stuff out there. This morning, I want to invite us to imagine that the greatest impact we might ever have in our world and in our homes and with our colleagues and in our community is when we actually do work in here. And that when we become greater on the inside, it has a way of brimming out, flowing from within us, and doing the most central and important work we're to do as Jesus people, and that is the work of love. There isn't any more important work. There's no work more central. Love is the central force of the gospel. It is our primary invitation. It is our work. But the kingdom of God is always upside down and countercultural. So when Jesus says, hey, greater things than this you'll do, we think out there. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I want to invite us to imagine what it looks like to do that work in here. And I want to leave you with three ideas around what that could look like. Now, I want you to think these through throughout the week, not just this morning. In other words, would you let them, these ideas work with you, go with you, work on you? with the overarching invitation to be greater on the inside. And somehow that, that rootedness, that groundedness, that being will flow out and do the work of love around you. So number one, self-love is not selfish. 
Self-love is not selfish. In fact, I would suggest that self-love is, is the paradoxical kingdom secret to selflessness. Because work on the inside leads to fruit on the outside. Did you hear that? Uh, in my own life, as a personal example, I have been obese my whole life. I come from a fat family. We're comfortably fat and we're keeping at it. But the older I get, the more concerned I become that that's going to cost me a price I don't want to pay. So there's been this lurking inside me that you probably need to pay attention to this because it's probably indicating other stuff inside you that you're comforting yourself with food and overeating for unhealthy reasons, and it's time, Noah, for the next level of work. And so in March, I began to change my relationship with food, the way that I thought about it, the way that I planned for it, the way that I engaged with it, the way that I treated it, the way that I made space for my body in new ways that I never had before. And this week, I bought 34 pants, 60 pounds down. But hey, because work on the inside leads to fruit on the outside. But it happens in our emotions. It happens in our spiritual journey. That's just my timing for this. You take your time. One of my colleagues says, her favorite line, take your time, baby, take your time. So take your time, baby, take your time. You'll get there when you get there. No judgment here. But, the, but it is true that the work on the inside. When I was a kid, my Sunday school teacher, I remember her, Miss Sasser, she would always say, boys and girls, it's about joy. You know what joy is? Jesus, others, yourself. Make sure you put yourself last. That's the Jesus way. I'm calling foul. In fact, I think it stands in objection to the, when Jesus is pressed, hey, what's the greatest commandment that I need to fo follow? If, if I only can get a few things right, what should it be? You know what Jesus answered? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. If, if Lily doesn't practice piano at the house on a regular basis, she's never going to learn how to play the piano well in front of Miss Mary when she goes to her recital. Listen, it's, it's nuts and bolts, brass tacks, practical. You spend more time with you than anyone else. If you don't practice self-love, self-mercy, self-grace, self-forgiveness, self-nurturing, self-care, you will not get good at others' grace, others' nurturing, others' mercy, others' care, others' love. It's that simple. You have, you, you have territory and space to practice love on you all day, every day, all week, so that it leaks because greater on the inside, that you will flow like rivers of living water. Until I can learn to like Noah, I'm not going to like you. As long as I am violent toward Noah, I'm going to be violent toward you. That's just how it works. We reproduce who we are. And if who we are is someone that condemns and criticizes ourselves, doesn't welcome ourselves to the table as we are, doesn't show our self-mercy when we have shortcomings, we will not cultivate the practice and the habits to do it for anyone else. I think that's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, because he knew the secret to how love actually happens, which is when we practice here first. But I don't know what it is with the Christian tradition that convinces us that it's selfish. It isn't selfish. The more that I like Noah, the more I seem to be able to like others. 
It's just the way it works. Maybe it's one of the paradoxical realities of the kingdom. I don't know. Everything's upside down with this Jesus stuff anyway. So you want to love other people? Love you. Then you'll love other people. It seems so upside down, but it is how it works. And so I invite you this morning, when you think about this declaration from Jesus, hey, greater things than this you'll do. Yeah, you'll do it by being greater on the inside, by practicing self-love, self-nurturing. And you know what the other thing is? It's actually self-ish because we actually end up walking through life, walking into every space, needing to almost greedily siphon off affirmation from other people because we haven't given it to ourselves or received it from the Lord. Every relationship we're in, it's like, I just need you to accept me. I need you to like me. There's this unspoken transaction of greed, relational greed. I need from you your acceptance and affirmation. Are you noticing me? Do you value me? Do you meet me? What would happen if we had received enough worthiness from God and learn to love ourselves enough that we could engage in relationships without a need to siphon something off from them. Because I'm not sure we can give and receive at the same time. So if we're, if we're really going to enter into relationships and communities as givers of grace, as givers of mercy, as givers of love, the way we see Jesus do so beautifully, if we're really going to do that, we can't walk in just being recipients. Like, give me, give me, give me. And I really think there's something unlocked in us when we love ourselves. There's a presence, um, and it is not selfish. Number two, you want to be greater on the inside? I think we need to accept that emotions are profoundly spiritual. Emotions are profoundly spiritual. In fact, I'll go so far as to call them a divine dashboard. What we're feeling is sending us messages that matter. In fact, emotions are what reveals what really matters. And so we're living in a time, an interesting time in the world where emotional intelligence is more popular. It's easier to access. It matters more. In fact, in the work we do with Integer, you probably have heard the term, raise your hand if you've heard the term soft skills. We teach soft skills, which is like how to relate and communicate and da 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 Well, that's been a kind of a fad for years that, you know, companies want to teach their employees how to have good soft skills to work with people well. There are now companies like FedEx and other large companies have started to call them essential skills. Emotional aptitude, relational skills, empathy and listening, vulnerability and authenticity and connection, these types of soft skills are now being called essential skills because we're growing up as a people and we're increasingly conscious and we're realizing that, oh, this, is, this isn't just like an optional, it'd be nice if we were caring about the hearts of humans. We're realizing it's essential to the bottom line. It's essential to making money. It's essential to making a difference. And so they're now essential skills. One of the thinkers or communicators that shapes me a lot in our network is Brene Brown. Some of you may have heard of her. She does some wonderful leading work around research in shame and vulnerability. But you know what's funny? She's pointing out stuff like, hey, vulnerability is the greatest measure of true courage. Show me a vulnerable leader and I'll show you a courageous one. Show me a strong leader that has it all together and I'll show you a really weak one. 
uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Bible stuff. That's Jesus stuff. That's Paul stuff. In my weakness, he is made strong. It's actually when our lives are laid down. Look at Jesus. The ultimate example of sacrifice, suffering, vulnerability, weakness is the most transformative force that humanity has ever seen. You don't need a lot of proof text from the scriptures to agree with Brene Brown. We're just repackaging the same thing in a modern language that people can access. But I think as Jesus people, we ought to hold on to this because emotions are deeply spiritual, deeply spiritual. And so as we pay attention to those things, uh, that divine dashboard, I believe that we position ourselves uh, to do the greater work. I am uh, learning a lot these days, changing a lot. I hope I always do till I die. Anybody else want to keep changing till they die and growing until they die? So one of the things that I've noticed is um, I, I can get in touch with my outer level emotions pretty well, enough to fool you into thinking that I'm really good at it. And I can get in touch with your deep emotions in my coaching work and a lot of the work we do also pretty well to make you think that I'm really good at it. But I've realized over the last few years, the more tender I get, the older I get, the more frail I feel emotionally, that I have a hard time getting in touch with the deeper, harder feelings, the ones that might make me look weak. I just realized in the last six months, like I, I don't remember when I've ever admitted I felt hurt. I mean, because that would reveal that I'm hurtable. I've been hurt countless times. Why can't I say I'm hurt? Uh, just this year, I've been trying to, my family can attest, to learn to get in touch with when I feel overwhelmed. Strong people don't feel overwhelmed, do they? Yeah, right. I feel overwhelmed a lot, actually. And afraid that I can't keep doing everything I'm doing. I've cried more in the last year than I can ever remember crying in my life. Sometimes I don't even know why I'm crying. My wife says, you need to go back to the therapist and get medicine or something. I don't know if I need medicine. Apparently, I just need to keep crying. But those deeper emotions, we're just so uncomfortable sitting with them. And I'm just learning, I just want to find them and sit with them because they're actually profoundly spiritual. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's when we get in touch there that it seems like the Spirit's now up to something. Oh, it's airy-fairy or it's a, whatever you want to call it. It's a, most, half of the room has defense mechanisms against emotions. It's fine. Take your time. Take your time, baby. Take your time. They're never going to be absent. The question is not whether they're absent. They're always in you. The question is whether you want to name them, whether I want to name them, face them, give them language, sit with the discomfort of them, or whether I want to let them just lurk under the surface, popping up in whatever they, way they want to. But they're not going away. And so emotions are proud. So you say, well, what does this have to do with Jesus' commission to be greater, to do greater things? I'm convinced that if we would learn that self-love is not selfish, it would 
send us down the road of being greater on the inside. And if we would learn that our emotions are deeply spiritual and they deserve to be paid attention to, they're our divine dashboard, it would start to prepare us to be that John 7 river brimming over, like rivers of living water flowing, because why the greatest work is love. That's the greatest work. And that love is going to be take deeper root out of our being than our doing, out of who we are than what we've done for someone else. It's how we show up with and for them. Which brings me to the last idea that I want to invite you to think about. And that is this. Presence is power. Presence is power. So we're in Christmas season. Presence, not presents. Okay? I think there's no impact like interest. Can I say that again? I think there's no impact like interest. If I'm interested in you, few things are as impactful as that. I mentioned Eugene Peterson's book a few minutes ago, the biography of his life. I don't know how many books he wrote, so many. And, uh, but they use a word over and over again in that book. The word was hereness and nowness. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. For the last year or so, it's, that's been working on me, this idea of, of being present. It was February of 2022. I was in Cape Town, South Africa with my colleagues and friends, and we were driving along the Indian Ocean, and we were looking, and it was especially beautiful that day. And so my friend Lawrence pulled over. I was in the front seat with him, and his wife Gerda was in the back, and we pull over, and uh, we just look out at the water and the waves crashing. And he's this sweet, like almost like a desert father presence, like a monk or something. I don't know. He's really weird. And he just looks out at the ocean, and he goes, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, just this, just now. Just this, just now. Presence is power. He was present to the ocean in that moment, right? He was present to me and Gerda. He was present to nature. He was offering attention and an intention. Can I weird you out a little bit? Pastor Mike, can they handle it? It's really remarkable, isn't it? What just presence can do. Greater things than this you'll do. And so we hurry. And we rush. And we fill our schedule and we fill the space between us with volume. We're so scared of ourselves, the silence, we, in the silence we might get caught being who we are. So we're just anxious to be 
I have a lot to learn about this still. But I think it's something of love in presence. And I think it matters because when I think of Jesus' invitation for us to be greater on the inside, I think we're going to have to be comfortable enough with our insides to sit there and allow the greater things to emerge. It's remarkable just if I just could spend a couple minutes with you in a less hurried way. what it brings up in us. I mean, it's not manipulative, it's just, well, what would it feel like to be together, to be present to each other with our eyes, with our warmth? And then as Jesus people, we get the gift of the Spirit flowing between us like wind. I try to explain God to my kids, and it's like, the old descriptions don't work for me anymore. As if God has a gender or something. Are you serious? I mean, the stars, NASA spent billions of dollars and billions of hours to discover really one thing. We barely, barely, barely touched the surface of that which is physical and we can explain that which is spiritual in nature? Are you serious? You're joking me. So the unknowable, the deep mystery of life with God makes us nervous because we need to know. We want to define, describe, and The presence is power, and so here, the next week or two, we're going to be with our families. You're taking off church next week, I think, right? So as you think about this series of Jesus' provocative invitation to do greater things, what would it look like if you just said, you know what, I, I want to actually be greater on the inside so that I can brim out to my family and those around me like rivers of living water, this invitation Jesus gave. And then right there, back to the parentheses in the middle of the core text of your series, hey, because I'm getting out of the way. So what if, it looked, what if we paused our doing for being? Might that be greater? It seems worth a shot. And so, I could fill our remaining moments with more words, but instead I want to invite you to reflect I want to invite you to see how, how, you, how you matter and that the greater things that you're invited to do will very likely be a byproduct of the greater things you become and that love is central to our work.
And so, Jesus, I ask that you would help us. to face ourselves, to know ourselves, and to receive your love deeply into our hearts. Would you help us to hurry less? Be more present, less afraid of what we feel, And more dialed in to Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, we'd like to do greater things than you did, though we doubt and wonder how we could when we watch and see you. But we accept by faith that through your Spirit's work within us, It is possible. So would you fill our hearts with love so that like rivers of living water, they would brim out and flow out to others in greater measure than we ever thought possible. Amen.